that's going. All right, we're recording. All right, everybody. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, today is episode one. I'm here with my friend, Alex the Tojo Cray. Alex is a uh, BJJ black belt. He's a hunter. He's an avid outdoorsman, rock climber, uh, a lot of good stuff. And uh, he's the guy I call whenever I need something fixed. So, Alex, welcome to the show. I feel weird calling you Alex, by the way. You can call me whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, uh, listen, uh, I appreciate you being the first guest. Um, I've been really, this has been like, a, what, a year and a half in the making. We talked about this a long time ago. I think we talked about this when COVID first kicked off. Yeah, two years ago then, yeah. right? So, um, I don't know why we did, didn't just do it, but... Uh, yeah, it converted a bedroom into a studio, which is still in the works, but so far so good. Looks really good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't told Amy exactly how much money I've spent. <laughs> Don't put it on here. She'll hear no, it. No, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. Hopefully, hopefully she doesn't listen to this. Uh, it was like 20 bucks <laughs> yeah, or so. Yeah, we got it on a, it's a bargain. They're all or over the so. internet. <laughs> <Or> so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But listen, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about, um, let's just start off with uh, the meat of it, man. Where, uh, where are you from originally? Um, so I was born in Minnesota, uh, grew up in more, more or less in, in Arizona though. Uh, kind of was like born and then immediately kind of shipped off to Arizona with okay. my parents. Um, and then went back for a little bit to Minnesota, uh, like for like junior high, just like a couple of years, but like I, I consider myself more Arizona, Arizona. than Minnesotan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, graduated high school here and, you know, went to college here, all that kind of good stuff. So right on, right on. So you and I met, uh, gosh, it was, um. Uh, what, nine years ago, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we're doing jujitsu. You were a, a high-level white belt when I met you. <laughs> and you were a chubby, chubby, a chubby white guy. belt. Yeah, I was a very chubby white belt. Um, I, think our, I think our audio is going a little bit out of whack here. Let me turn us down a little bit. All right, how's that? That seems to be a little bit better. Yeah, we're going in the red there for a second. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, you were a high-level white belt, and I was a chubby white belt that just started. Um, I, I remember... Um, when I started, um, there was a group, I mean, you were part of that, that initial group that pretty much opened up Paul's Academy, right? I mean, it's maybe the second wave of guys. I would say closer to the second wave. Cause there was definitely like when he was at that karate school, when Paul was at Paul Nava was at that karate school. Um, and then he switched that to the location in the same building that we're currently in over on Alma school and the freeway. Um, but that's tiny, tiny little closet of a, of a unit. Um, and then, you know, from there we switched over to the unit that we're in. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's been so many iterations, but yeah, I was kind of, I would say probably I would consider myself like the second generation yeah. of people. Um, cause I mean, back in that day, I think the original people were like Jeremiah Easton and yeah. like Aaron Wilson and Jenny, uh, yeah. Jenny Larson and all those people were all like kind of like that original first wave. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I came in after that. Um, you know, you know, my friend Kevin, yep. uh, uh, Kevin Tyrell, who, yep was a rock climbing friend of mine. Um, and I got injured, uh, rock climbing. Like I, I pulled like a ligament in my finger, like really bad. They're like a little pulley. It's like kind of what holds your like tendon to your, your finger bones. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of like on the outs for, of rock climbing for a little bit. And he's like, Hey, you should try jujitsu. He'd, he, um, I can't remember. I think maybe Tony Kadoran got him into it. So he, and another, and Tony also rock climbs too. So it's kind of like that rock climber into jujitsu thing. Um, but he was, he kind of gave the suggestion. He's like, I know you can't rock climb right now, but like no gi jujitsu, there's not really, it's not as grip focused, especially, mm. I mean, obviously compared to like, uh, gi jujitsu is a lot of grips, right? But no gi, it's kind of like that open hand grip. It's a lot less stress on your fingers. 
So I was like, oh, screw it. I'll, I'll give it a try. I can't climb right now. Might as well do something. Yeah. And I guess the rest is history. Kind yeah, of no kidding. Hung out. I mean, back then it was Scoop was the coach. Yep. You know, uh, there was also, God, who uh, Dave Barnes and, yep. you know, a couple other people that have, you know, gone the way of the Dodo. I haven't seen any of those guys in a long time. But yeah, but yeah, yeah I mean, that's that's where the you know, second gen and then I just kind of stuck it out, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And for those of you that don't know, um, uh, Tojo and I uh, trained under Paul Nava uh, from White Belt um, all the way up to Black Belt. And Paul is a uh, a ten-time uh, world champion. Uh, I do this because his <laughs> fingers are so gnarly. Um, but ten-time uh, world champion, uh, masters division fighter. He's a um, great guy. I mean, he com- he's changed so many lives. He's affected so many people. Um, you know, um, we all we all joke about um, you know Paul's intensity, but I mean, it can't be overstated how how intense the guy was. I remember. I remember when, um, you know, his kids have, you know, the very rare uh, NF2 disease and they would have to travel to the East Coast. And I always remember because it was right around Mar- the beginning of March when he had to go out there. Mm-hmm. And then he would come back like five days before we left for PANS. Yep. And that's all the training he got. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because he was so focused on the family. And maybe, you know, he trained a little bit when he was out in um, in – Virginia, I think it was, right? DC area, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And then he'd come back and then we'd go to Pans and he'd win. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Like how do how do how do you do that? Like yep. that's that's crazy. So yeah, so um so okay, so you started out as, you know, obviously a white belt, you know, progressed into blue. What when did you start coaching? That's a good question. Um I think I dabbled in like maybe covering classes a little bit as a purple belt. Um, Obviously, like more like the fundamental class. Sometimes I'd help out with like the kids class. Um, But it really didn't like kind of, I would say, come into my own like as like one of the true coaches of um, one of Paul's um, until I was a brown belt um, where I took over his fundamentals class. Um, I think, God, I trying to remember man that was so long ago I feel like at this point it was kind of like uh, I think you know Anthony Russo and um, uh, Lu- Luis Oliveira were like kind of like you know back and forth coaching but both of them have you know life stuff um, and then they kind of like were bailing on that a little bit or just were too busy to like continue to do that and yeah you know Paul asked me if I wanted to do it I was like hell yeah yeah and I love coaching it's it's forces you to kind of like focus on all of like the little details and you know I like that kind of thing so yeah one one thing that I I realized when I when I was when I started coaching uh for Paul is I wasn't really a a technician Mm -hmm. you know what I mean and kind of how do you think it forced you to to become a little bit more of a technician than just a practitioner yeah I feel like uh for for the most part I think most people kind of are kind of when they when they train or when they're, you know, rolling or competing, a lot of that is like very intuition based. Like, and I I don't mean like, you know, they're just like natural athletes. I mean, like you drill something, you practice it over and over and over again to the point where like, you're not thinking about it anymore, which is like, definitely you want to get to that point for a lot of like, you know, high level guys they are not thinking about how they're going to pass. But like when you're forced into that kind of like, I need to show specific details you know, to make sure someone understands because there's a lot of movements in jujitsu that are very nuanced. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a lot of like, I think uh, most high level people would agree that like a lot, um, a lot of that stuff we take for granted. Like you, you try to show just like a, like a common like knee slice or something like that. And you just do it. And yeah. then someone, and then you watch, you watch like a brand new white belt try to do it and they're like missing details. And then you realize, Oh, I didn't, 
point out, this is where my knee needs to go. This is where the pressure goes. This is where my hand goes. You know, there's so many little details that you have to focus on. And I think when you focus on all of those tiny little minute, you know, details, it, it kind of, it sharpens up your game. Okay. You know, yeah. it, it, it makes you actually think about that stuff for a little bit. And then again, it, you do it over and over and over again to the point where you're, you know, it's intuition. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think when I first started, when I first started coaching, um, and like we talked about, you know, you realize you're, you gotta be more of a technician. There were two things I had to study. I had to study obviously the, uh, systems that I was teaching, right. Cause a lot of the stuff I, I was, I hate to say pigeonholed, but I had a game. I had a specific game that sure. I like to play and I rarely deviated cause I was trying to hone that. Right. So I had to expand that and it became, I mean, it, my game just flourished. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it became really, really, um, there was less, um, I don't know there, it was less, um, obvious what I was going to go for. Yeah. And the second thing I had to study was I had to study the things that I did intuitively because like you said, there are like spots where your hand goes here, your foot goes there, this and that, but you're kind of just doing the move and you're watching your students, like you said, do it, like just miss a little detail. And then you realize I never, I never said that. Right. I never talked about that. So tell me about the balance. Uh, there's a little bit of a balance and maybe you can explain it to a little bit better, but there's a balance between showing the move, going into detail and then like just talking way too much. Sure. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, do you find, do you find like, uh, uh, are you, are you finding a balance in there where you're, where you're not, you're not over explaining things? Yeah. You know, I, I definitely like struggle with that. I mean, it's definitely something it's, it's very easy to do, mm-hmm. right. To just jump into every little tiny detail. Yeah. Right. And, and sometimes I feel like you kind of want to find that happy meeting, obviously like landing somewhere in the middle with like how much detail you're explaining. Um, but like when I'm studying like techniques, like even if it's basic stuff, like mm-hmm. arm bar from, uh, from close guard or something like that, mm-hmm. like find those like, you know, handful of key points that like, if you don't do this, you're going to completely fail every time. Right. Yeah. Find those like handful of details, focus on those during like the general instruction. Cause a lot of people are going to kind of, for lack of a better word, like accidentally get it right. You know, yeah. they kind of like, you give them like the broad strokes. And then as you're kind of going through it, um, someone who has like decent body awareness is going to realize, Oh, I need to, you know, put my hip here or whatever. Um, so as you're kind of walking around, kind of like making sure everyone's doing everything right, then you can make those corrections with people kind of more on a one-on-one basis. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of people like, like that, even though it's like not a one-on-one, you know, per se, but it's still kind of like, shows your students that you're kind of paying attention to what they're doing right? and, and you're actually concerned that they do everything correctly. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I like, I kind of lean towards that style, um, more than like, like you've seen some like, you know, Mikey Musumeki, uh, like when he shows details, he's like telling you everything, like the anatomical names of all the body parts and all that stuff. He goes way overboard for a lot of details, which for some people, like I like listening. I love that. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) I can listen to that. Yeah. He's a little more pretentious. Like when he like, you know, instead of like LCL, he'll say, you know, lateral collateral. And it's like, come on, just say LCL. We all know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Our brains work differently. That's for sure. yeah, Yeah, for sure. But I mean, I like, I like to know every little detail, right? Yeah. And then I can kind of like pick and choose like kind of those th- things that I would, I'll relay to the students, what, you know, how I see them as far as um, their priority and like, yeah. you know, hearing it from me. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's tough. And then there's, you know, there's people who just kind of like do the move and they're just like, just do it like that. You right. Know? <laughs> that, that's the other end of the spectrum, right? And, yeah. And that's like, 
you got to give people some detail and you, yeah. and you'll, we've all been to those like seminars where like some super high level guy. And I mean that like kind of little off, you know, side note there is like, you know, a lot of people think that like, you know, he's a, you know, wins every single tournament. That means he's going to be a good coach, right? That's not yeah. the case. Unfortunately. That's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you've had, you go to like some really awesome seminar with some really high level guy and you're like, he's not going through the details that you'd want yeah. to have, you know, uh, especially like when you're like an upper level belt, you can kind of fill in the blanks, yeah. right? Like, yeah. you know, purple belt, brown belt, black belt, you've had a lot of experience. You kind of, kind of know what he means or you kind yep. of are familiar with uh, those positions, but you get that like white belt who's in those classes or even like some blue belts, right. That are like, they'll, they'll, it'll go right over their head yeah. that they, they need to do a certain thing. Right. So, you know, it's sometimes you got to, you got to find, figure out those points that like what parts of this are going to be more intuitive than others. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, otherwise you just kind of get really, you can't focus on all of that. Right. Cause you get too wordy. You spend like a half an hour showing one technique. Right. Yeah. And then there's no time to drill and then there's no time to roll. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, all that stuff is really important. Right. Yeah. I have those moments uh, when I'm coaching and I realize how quiet the room is. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I've been talking for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so let me ask you this. I, I like to do a, um, I call it my Tarantino approach. Mm-hmm. So I, I teach something in a very broad stroke and then I condense it down to the details. I kind of bring them back. Like, you know, this is the move in a nutshell. And then, then we start talking about detail, detail, detail. Mm-hmm. The issue that I have is when I teach something, I try to teach it in a, a systematically, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you know what I mean. Um, and I know, I know you have a similar method of teaching that I do. We came from the same place. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue that I see is how do you handle when people don't show up for the next class oh, and you can't build so on the last one? How do you, yeah. well, let's just say you have 15 people on Monday and then you have a very different, a completely different 15 on Friday. Mm-hmm. How do you fill in that gap with those guys? Yeah, I mean that's tough. Like, I mean that definitely happens. Um, and the and uh, the other thing too is like maybe you'll have um, some guy who's brand new, mm-hmm. right? Or and then you'll have purple belts and brown belts, you know, in your yep. in your class. So it's like you kind of ha- like you, if you go too detailed, you know, for that white belt. Yeah. Then you, you start losing the purple and brown belts, yep. right? Because they're they're just to- they're you know checking out at that point and vice versa and vice versa. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it, it's tough, you know, um, a lot of times I'll, I'll usually start with like, um, like in the week I'm going to build, right. I'm going to start, you know, the fundamental position or technique or whatever I'm working on. And then I build off of that. Right. Yep. And I'm, I'm going to be on that curriculum through the week. Right. I mean, it's going to, if you come in on only on Fridays, you're going to, you're going to get the, you know, the back end of that technique for sure. Yep. But I do, review like so say like i teach like three or four different like techniques based off of the same position yeah like i'll i'll build off of that but like say like thursday and friday i'm gonna spend some time on the stuff that i did on monday and tuesday but less time yeah right and then and then that's like i said earlier like i'll when we get into like the you know actual like doing the reps right that's when i'll go find those people that weren't there earlier in the class make sure that i mean sometimes they pick it up right away right and then you don't have to deal with it but if they're totally like lost in what you're doing, then, then you focus, make those corrections, yeah. kind of give them that one-on-one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's like, and it's, it's easy to say like, well, screw them. You know, they didn't show up, but you know, yeah. it's you can't not, exactly do that. Yeah. yeah and I, I definitely like, um, subscribe to like, you know, the better your training partners are, even, even your students, right. Mm-hmm. The better your students are, the better you get. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Cause those absolutely. are your training partners. Yep. You know, I roll with everybody in the morning class. Right. Yeah. So it's like, if, if they get better, they learn my tricks. I have to adjust. I have to create or not create, but I have to like, you know, add things to my game and, yeah. you know, and the better that they get, you know, the more realistic our roles are going to be. Like if I'm rolling with like, you know, some newer guy, the, his reactions will be, you know, more appropriate. And yes. Then he's becomes more useful. Right. Yeah. You know that, you know, it's funny you say that Amy and I were talking about, um, cause she and I have spent a lot of time, you know, developing different aspects of our game mm-hmm. and some of the things we set up take two and a half, three minutes to set up. You sure. know what I mean? You know, foot here, especially when there. someone's resisting, right? Yeah. So we were, we were talking about rolling with, um, with white belts and it, it, we, we, we meant that as a good thing, right? Sure. You roll with a white belt and they're brand new and they don't react the way they, they should. Sure. When you're developing that, that, that move, that guard. Mm-hmm. So you really, I hate to say this, but you're wasting your time. Sure. Because you're not going to set up the guard that you want to set up because they're not reacting the correct way. So you, what do you do? You go right back to the basic fundamental stuff. Sure. And then you just execute simple sweeps and you play mount and you're doing, you know, uh, maybe a side control, you know, knee slice, stuff like that. So I think rolling with, like you said, you want, you want your training partners to get as good as possible, but you can still get a lot out of rolling with a new, with a new white belt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is like, you want to like, so say you get that white belt who's not responding correctly. Like yeah. he's basically just giving you his back or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, most of the time you're in such an like advantageous position that you can kind of like talk them through stuff Yep. and be like, Hey, so see how you kind of like brought your arm across your body. Yeah. You're exposing your back. Yeah. You, know? you like kind of walk them through it. Yeah. And then sometimes I'll just reset a position. Like if yeah. someone like a lot of times when like uh, some new people try to like pass your half guard or whatever, they'll bring their, the, whatever arms aren't supposed to be on the hip, they'll bring it all the way mm-hmm. over to like the side they're trying to pass to. Yeah. Yeah. And you just kind of like hip out and you take their back and you're yeah. like, you see what you did? And then <laughs> yeah. you kind of explain it to them. It's like, all right, let's, let's restart this. And I want you to try, you know, posting on my hip, looking for the underhook, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. Like yeah. walk them through those little details. And it's not like you're giving, you're not spending like 10 minutes trying to explain it. You're just like giving them like, you know, shotgun. Here's two, t- who's two little details that'll help you on your passing, like yeah. with this particular technique or whatever. Yeah. You know, and again, like the more they learn that those mistakes the less likely they are, they're, they're going to do, uh, they are to do them. And then that's going to make them a better training partner. Yeah. That's going to make all of your rounds better. That's going to make their rounds better because now they're going to go apply that, you know, and then that means their jujitsu is better. Right? Yeah. So yeah. everyone wins like, uh, like that. But I mean, there's also that, like, you don't want to spend your whole round coaching somebody. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, catch and release is a good thing. Sure. But you know, you, you got to get your reps in too. Mm-hmm. you know, um, and it, I, I think, I think my, my, my favorite rounds are, uh, rolling with, um, somebody, somebody that like gets it, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, well for sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Those, those are my favorite rounds, but I think, I think I get the most out of the rounds where I flat out just lose, mm-hmm. you know, whenever I go to, you know, an Academy that's, you know, loaded down with like killer, you know, black belts and over to Goodyear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go over to good. Yeah. Good luck. Right. Um, you know, I, yeah, I get, I get throttled, but I just feel like, I don't know. I walk away just happy. Like I know, I know I pick something up, mm-hmm. you know, I know my reactions, my reaction to what happened is getting better just because I've, I've been in it. You know yeah. what I mean? And I think, I think passing that along to those white belts is pretty beneficial as well. Yeah, for sure. And you know, like on that note of like just getting just smeared on the mat. Right. Yeah. Um, like when I roll with like Josh, right. Like, Josh can submit me at will for the most part, yeah. but it, like, it's like he, 
the lesson that you learn there isn't necessarily a technical one. Like it's not like, oh, I need to do this technique. I need to pass this way. Yeah. It's you learn that like if you rush into a technique and you make the tiniest mistake, someone who high level is going to take advantage of yeah. that. Yeah. And the more you make those mistakes, the more you realize that like, oh, I need to slow down. I need to focus on my technique and be as perfect as I can. Yeah. Right. Cause, and, and it's a slower game and it's less exciting. Like it's fun to like kind of get with someone who's a little sloppy. Cause then you can, you know, get into that, like roll, like, you know, barren bolo rolling around yeah, trying yeah. to take each other's backs, that kind of thing. Yeah. But, uh, when you're working with someone who can, you know, submit you or sweep you or take your back at will, it's like, you got to make sure that there are no mistakes. No in the mistakes. Game. Yeah. And, and you know, you're like, you'll make that mistake. It'll start uh, coming around your back and you have no answer for it. And you're like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. God damn it. I yeah. knew, I knew it. You know, the second yeah. you do that, you make that mistake, you know it, you know? And it's like, but that's a lesson to learn. It's Absolutely. like, okay, I need to slow down. I, I can't be wild and spazzy with my technique. Like you can't, you can get away with that with like a purple belt or a blue right. belt. Right. Yeah. But you get those higher level guys, they're looking, I mean, we're all, I mean, that's kind of like how Jiu-Jitsu is, right? You're kind of like looking for that, you're either trying to make them make a mistake or you're waiting for them to make a mistake, yeah. right? You can be either proactive or active on, right. or, um, or reactive on it. Um, you know, and like the more you make those mistakes, the more you realize that. Yeah. Right. And that's yeah. a, that's a valuable lesson that it, you can't, can't teach a class on that. Right. You know? right. Cause it's not a technique. It's not a technique. Yeah. It's, it's more of a philosophy kind of thing. Right. For sure. Um, and, and for those of you that don't know, um, he's referring to Josh Cisneros. Um, he's our advanced class mixed levels class coach in the evenings over at um at Aries East Mesa BJJ and uh Josh is at the world championships unfortunately he lost in the qualifying round it was a, it was a great match he he looked good he looked really good mm-hmm. um he he didn't have to cut weight like he had like he had to at uh, ADCC trials but looked uh, like death. <laughs> but uh no he looked great man and and he's he's rolling good um you know he, he got dinged up a little bit in training but no he we're really proud of Josh man he's He's definitely has our full support, you know, mm-hmm. whatever he does. So it's, it's awesome to have him. So yeah, Josh doesn't make any mistakes. So very, very, yeah, few. very few. And they're usually so small that I don't have that. I'm not fast <laughs> enough or precise enough yeah. to take advantage of it most of the time. Yeah. But, but uh, Hey, I want to go back to what we were talking about in the morning class and, um, and dealing, uh, not dealing with, but, but, but the coaching aspect itself. Yeah. And I apologize. I'm the one that screwed up your morning class you and made it, <laughs> made it earlier. Um, I, I didn't officially make it earlier. I just opened it earlier. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, so going back to, to, uh, to coaching real quick, um, when I, when I'm preparing for, for coaching again, you know, I, I study moves, I study myself, I, I try to do things. What are, what are things that you do and you can pass along to other coaches, maybe people that are like, maybe are purple belts and, you know, they're, they're from a small school and, and they, um, you know, they've been tasked by their black belt who leaves town to compete to, you know, take over some classes. What would you, what would you recommend for those guys? What could they do to kind of step their game up and, and be a better coach? A hundred percent study. Like, I don't care if it's a technique you do every single day when you're in live rounds. Like, it's something you do. Like, I think even more so for those techniques. Because, like, we talked about earlier how, like, there's there's things that you do that you take for granted because you've, you've drilled it into your brain, right? It's like your body's just going to do it, mm. right? Like a, like a scissor sweep. You know to, like, you know, get them off their butt and, you know, cut the angle and all that kind of stuff, right? If you try to just assume that you like, oh, I do this all the time. I'm going to know exactly how to teach this. Right. Yeah. You're going to miss so many steps. And I've been there. I've done that where you like, you go to teach it and every, and then you're like, all right, one, two, three, clap. And everyone goes out and tries to do the technique and yeah. everyone's failing at it. And you're like, 
you didn't tell them. Like, right. You missed a detail. You missed yeah. a lot of details or whatever it is. You take for granted that like just because you know how to you know a technique doesn't mean you know how to teach that technique. Yeah. Right. Like I was saying with like those super high level world class athletes. Just because they're world class athletes doesn't mean they're world class coaches. Yeah, and that and that applies to every sport. You know, For basketball, sure. football, anything like that. You could have a, a world class athlete that just doesn't know how to how to teach somebody. So right. yeah. yeah, those uh, who can't do teach. Like yeah, me. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so study. So um, you know, and and let me ask you this: How how would you recommend um, growing a program when you have you know you have a, a team that let's just say, um, you know, for me, it was the 6 a 6am slot, 6am slot. I took, I took over from a guy that was like, I mean, he was awesome. Yeah. I mean, you know, Josh, Josh, uh, Rodriguez, he was my morning coach. And there were a couple of people that took over for a little bit. Yeah. You I know, think, uh, Kaplan, Kaplan and, was in there. Yeah. I think Brendan Cornell yeah. took over for a little bit too yeah. in there. Yeah. But they, you know, they got careers and moved away and, yep. and, and they, they had to, um, you know, there was a, there was an open slot and it just so happened that, I was in a position uh, with my day job where um, that five o'clock kid slot wasn't going to work for me. Sure. You know what I mean? So I went over to Paul and I just said, hey, man, you know, what what can we do? And he's like, hey, I need a morning guy. So perfect. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so growing that morning class <clears throat> was a little bit of a task. So, so, you know, you're in the process of growing that that morning class. What are you doing to to motivate people, number one, to get up that early, mm -hmm. number two, to put a gi on, number three, to roll, right, and start their day that way? How do you how do you approach that with people that, uh, you know, cons don't consider themselves morning people? For sure. I, I mean, first and foremost, like, it's, it's a, such a small thing, but I think it actually pays out in dividend, like, knowing everyone's name. Right. Yeah. Like if you like you've, you've been to seminars before where like maybe you're like familiar with the person. They, maybe they've like seen you before and they, they like kind of know who you are. But like I think it always like kind of hit hits a little bit when like the guy that like is a world class. He's like you see him on, you know, flow grappling. You see him at the fight to wins. You see him, at, you know, doing, you know, worlds, pans, winning all this stuff. And you, you see him at a seminar and they're like, hey, what's up, Tojo? Oh, yeah. Right. Doesn't it? It yeah. means a lot. It right? does. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like. It means more to some people than it does for others, right? Yeah. But I, I always, like, make it that point to, like, kind of, like, especially for the newer people, because they're kind of, like, like, the newer someone is, the more they idolize the upper belts, right? Sure, yeah. And, I mean, whether or not that's deserved or not, like, we can we can go on about yeah. that later if you want. But, yeah. Um, but I think it does kind of mean something to those people when they've been in one class, they come back to the next class, and you're like, oh, what's up, Miguel? Welcome back. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And it's just, and it's such a small thing. Um, and so, like, my, like, way of doing that is, like, you know, uh, I'll ha I was like, oh, hey, this is your first class here. Uh, what's your name? You know, okay, Miguel. We'll just use that name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Miguel. Yeah, that I'm, works. I'm Coach Tojo. Um, yeah. uh, you can call me whatever. Uh, you know, whatever. And then when we're going through the techniques and stuff, when I'm, like, maybe, like I said, doing kind of the more one-on-one -on -one stuff, like when we're all drilling, um, I make it a point to, like, use their name over yeah. and over again because it's yeah. tough, right? Because you're, like, learning, you know, 30 names, yeah. right? And they yeah. only have to learn your name. Yeah. Right? So Yeah, well, like, right now in, in my morning class, I have a, a Colin, a Callan, and a Cullen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that dude, probably, that makes that rough for dude, you, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> so it's it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of not you, him. Uh -huh. That's you know a lot of that, but uh, yeah. But you know, like I always like kind of like, on that note of like you know becoming familiar with like your students. I, I think that goes a long way because like I don't want 
I don't want to be idolized, right? No. I mean, there obviously has to be a level of respect for the coach, sure. whoever it is, right? Yeah. Like they, people need to be quiet. They need to listen. You know, they can't be disruptive when like instruction is going on or even when people are drilling, right? Yeah. Like you can't be like, all right, let's go drill. And then they, all they want to do is talk, right? Right. Don't show up to class if that's what you want to do, yeah. right? Because yeah. that takes away from everyone else. But, you know, you, you got to like develop these relationships with these people because if they don't, if they don't give a crap about you, or if you don't give a crap about them, even worse, right? I mean, yeah. first and foremost, you're you're a teacher, right? Yep. You're a coach. Yep. Like you need to their their best interest is what you're focusing on. Yeah. That's your job. Yep. You know? So like I try to focus on that, like that the personal stuff more than even like the technical side of it, but the technical side always falls falls in line, right? Yeah. Like the more familiar you are with people, the more comfortable they are to ask questions, which is nice. Cause you, you'll get those people like, all right, any questions? And they'll go and no one, no one raises their hand. All right, let's do it. And then you, you could tell like when they go into the technique, they're completely lost. They're completely lost. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. I, I try to like really um, cultivate like that environment where like there, there are no stupid questions. Right. Right. And you know, that's kind of like a cliche that you hear, but a lot of times people ask a question and the way that like that coach or whoever responds to it, you know, they'll there'll be an air of like annoyance or like that yes. was a stupid question. And yes. that's like, even if they're not meaning to do it, like I think you have to focus on not doing that. Yeah. Cause even if you don't mean to, sometimes it just comes through. Yeah. And that, and that really, um, that really does the students a disservice because like you said, when there is a question, it's not going to be asked for fear of looking like that person. Dumb. Yeah. yeah. And I it's not dumb. I mean, but you know, looking like they feel dumb. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I like to, you know, you know, bus balls, but also like with respect and only in fun. Yeah. Like, and it, it's not like, and again, that's like not something you can teach, right? You kind of just got to be able to like read people. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, that's, I think that's uh, uh, something that like a lot of younger athletes or younger coaches have issues with because they yeah. don't have like the experience of dealing with so many different types of people that come yep. from so many different backgrounds. Like, yeah. You yeah. Know, it, you just got to like, you know, read the room basically. Yeah. Right. Like, but then on the, on the other hand, it's like, don't be afraid to, um, you know, self-deprecate a little bit too. Sure. Cause it kind of like, it kind of breaks that ice, yeah. right? You know, like, oh, I messed that up. Yep. You know, like even when you're showing technique, none of us are perfect. Right. Right. Sometimes you'll show the technique and you'll mess it up and you're like, oops, I forgot this part. Right. Yeah. 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 Like, I think that like humanizes you a little yep. bit. Like the part about like the idolizing black belts and brown belts or whatever. It's like, I, I think the, the sooner you can like squash that, like, I am not a God. Like, no, yeah, <laughs> it, it, no. And that's, I'm glad you bring that up because there are some people that give, I don't want to say too much respect, but you want to have a level of respect, mm -hmm. but it comes to the point where like, I'll roll with, like I'll roll with somebody and mm -hmm. then halfway through the roll, I'll just tell them, Hey, you're not giving me as much as you've got. Yeah. Like just roll, bro. Like we're, we're, we're just training partners right now. Mm -hmm. And they're like, Oh, I don't want to be disrespectful. I'm like, okay, I look 105. But I'm I'm okay. Just bring it. Like, yeah. You know, use the tools God gave you because right. You know, I'm gonna bring it too. Because God willing, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna take it to you. Right. That's yeah. the whole plan. Right. But no, and it's so great that you bring that. And, and you know who brought that up once? We did a seminar with Clark Gracie, mm -hmm. and Clark Gracie was the one that brought that up. Like, show respect, but not too much that you don't roll. Right. You know, right. I thought that was really. I mean, come on, it's Clark Gracie. Yeah. You know, and that yeah, that yeah. was really cool, man. Yeah. Um, it's I, like with all due respect. All right? yes. Yeah. Like you know, give him the you know the respect of like you know paying attention being, you know, there. Yeah. Right. Mentally. Yeah. And, it, but like I said, they're, they're not untouchable. Yeah. Right? We're all human. Yeah. It's funny because the self-deprecating stuff is easy for me because I can show a move and like, 
I'll execute it. I'll be like, oh, that was smooth. That's <laughs> you know, I'm thinking yeah. it. And, I, and I'll just tell everybody, okay, I'm 105. If I can do it, you can do it. And right. everybody's like, ah, oh, you know, they just kind of laugh it off. Yep. But um, that that is, I think that's a very good way to keep them engaged, right? Instead mm-hmm. of just standing there like a, like you have a cape on, you know, it's not, yeah, yeah. You're, not, you're not anything that special. I always think back to like college, like <clears throat> there's nothing worse than a lecture hall. Right. Right. Yeah. Because then that's that's when you're at a lecture hall where like it's the teacher talking at you. At you. Yeah. You're just like, all right, I'm just going to get on my phone. I'm going to get on my laptop or whatever. Right. But like when you're engaging like with with the people in the room, especially like as you start to know your students, like you'd be like, all right. So the the Kimura is available here in this position. You're like and I know he's going to take advantage of this. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Like it kind of brings the students into the instruction, yep. which kind of immerses everybody, yeah. which is kind of what you want, right? Because that's that's going to really, I, I think that improves engagement, uh, you know, more than just like, I'm just going to regurgitate a bunch of, you know, technical jujitsu jargon at these yeah. people. That you, that, you, that you chewed up from somebody else. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, it's funny. I was, I was thinking the other day because I'm really adamant about calling our academy an academy. It's sure. not a school. It's an academy. Yeah. And the not way a dojo, not a dojo. It, well, I mean, you can call it dojo. I don't care. But uh, <laughs> but the, um, the, the it's an academy for a reason. And my reason mentally is that when I go to a school, like you said, I'm going to be talked at. Sure. Right. I feel like an academy is somewhere where you can express yourself. Sure. Right. You can you can the student brings more to the table mm-hmm. than just sitting in a chair and, and, and taking in information. Sure. Yeah. And I think that's important for people to grasp because. And for me, it's just a mental switch. Like I'm not in a school, I'm in an academy. And, and that means that I'm going to invite some, uh, I hate to call it conflict, but you know, um, I always joke with the students that I hate what if questions because jujitsu is so pure. Like there is no what if there's just technique and adjustment, but I want to hear, I want to hear the students, um, you know, not challenge it so much, but Mm -hmm. really if they're challenging, that means they're engaged. Sure. Yeah. And and that's a good thing. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if, if, if an old school instructor would like that. Right. But it's uh, so weird. Cause that's, that's another like balancing point, right? Like you want them to be engaged. You want them to ask questions, but you also don't want to be like, go down the rabbit hole. Right. Cause right. then that, that takes away from everyone else's instruction. Cause yeah, yep. there's like, you could play that. What if game for yeah. the entire class, yep. right? It, as long as it's like super relevant to like, what if he posts out on your right. hip instead of the ground or whatever yeah. stuff like that like small what ifs i think are right. I, I i welcome more so than like you know what if he front rolls out of this or yeah, whatever yeah. you know it's like yeah we'll get into that yeah but that's not, not really now. applicable yeah. to, you know to this specific technique or something to that effect right normally my what ifs happen in a fundamentals class where there's somebody that doesn't have a lot of experience and they just see things they're just they're just seeing things like maybe i could do that you know mm-hmm. and like you said what if they post on the on the on the mat rather than here and i always tell them the same thing i don't get tunnel vision i do this and then i'll mm-hmm. throw up like a triangle or something like that and they're yeah. like oh okay and it's like if you want to learn more come to the mixed levels class that's one of the toughest things too to that whole tunnel tunnel vision yeah. thing it's like yeah. if the technique's not working don't force it yeah you know? yeah don't force it yeah but uh listen i want to get into a couple other things man um i want to talk to you about your hunting <laughs> yeah. because it seems like it seems like i knew tojo he was a rock climber and he was a jujitsu guy and you, you alternated between the two sometimes. And then all of a sudden you're like in camo killing things. <laughs> how did that, how did that come about? Have you always been a hunter? Have you always been into it? it, it no, not really. I mean, when I, growing up, um, I had friends that, you know, went hunting, um, especially when like, you know, junior high, when I was in Minnesota, there's a lot, a 
lot of hunting. I feel like it's a little bit more on the forefront there than it is here. Yeah, for sure. It's a lot more niche living in the desert, obviously. Yeah. Um, but the guy who got me into rock climbing, uh, my uh, one of my good friends, Eddie Brown, um, he it was all he's a lifelong hunter, mm. and he you know was a rock climber for many years when I started rock climbing with him. And he, uh, I don't, I don't really know. I don't remember what catalyzed it, but it was just kind of like, I just kind of made a decision one day to like, I'm going to go buy a bow. <laughs> yep. Just decided. <laughs> I think I saw some video. I mean, this yeah. is like, I mean, that was before, like, you know, now it's like everyone sees Joe Rogan and yeah, Cameron sure. Haynes and yeah. John Dudley. No, you've been doing it for a while. Yeah. It was yeah. like, it was like just before that, like wave of like new, but you're, you know, hunters. Yeah. Your first bow was like a bass pro kind of mm -hmm. thing right i mean mm -hmm. uh, and you had it dialed in i remember that because yeah. i got a bow like maybe a year after you did or something like that you yeah. were already driving nails with the thing so so tell me because you 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 start i mean i know you personally so i know i know what kind of guy you are so i'm sure you researched you know uh, the specific bow and all of that other stuff but how did it come about where you were like fletching your own your own arrows and you're building your own strings and doing all that like where does that come from um, you know, it, it kind of comes from like that, uh, just wanting to be, uh, like have a complete understanding of your sport. Right. Mm. You know, and I consider like, I, I would, I wouldn't consider like <coughs> rifle hunting as much of a sport as archery is. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like there are the challenges that come along with rifle hunting. Anybody who's been to a, you know, a gun range knows that like not everyone just knows how to shoot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, there's definitely like sporting aspects to both. Right. Archery is so much more technical, right? There's so many little things to learn. There's so many little nuances. Um, and it's just like from that, I kind of like my, my like, uh, like mentality with a lot of different things is like, I, I'll, I'll, I'll have this like, you know, kind of maybe fleeting interest in something mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll just be like kind of like looking into it a little bit. And then I'll just start obsessing. Like once I realize that it's something that's obtainable, yeah. like, you know, if it's like, starting your own business or something like that, where there's, there's barriers to entry there. Of right? course. Yeah. Um, and there's barriers to entry to everything, right? What, whether it's like, you know, the funding to buy like all of the equipment, right. Or maybe it's like a technical uh, barrier to entry. Like you need like some sort of mentor or something yep. like that. Yep. Um, I mean, and, and plus like just being like in the, in our you know day and age, like you can learn anything you want on the internet. Yeah. And, and I noticed you were doing that. Um, especially when I, when I, um, you were talking about doing a over-the-counter archery hunt, and we, you and I went on one. did not did not go well. A lot of it's my <laughs> fault. A lot of it's my fault. But um, but that was a miserable weekend, by the way. But um, no, I remember you um, over one summer. Gosh, man, it was before COVID, maybe two thousand nineteen, something like that. And you were you were scouting a ton, mm -hmm. like you were scouting, your own, and you were going to do an over-the-counter hunt, and you knew the area you were going to go to. And tell me about that. Tell me about the scouting. Like, how does that, how, how do you go from like zero? I mean, cause I, it sounds to me like you were out there alone a lot. Mm -hmm. So, so tell me how 100%. that, how that develops. Like how, how do you go out scouting and how do you, how do you pick your spot? You know, honestly, it, like it comes from having really good mentorship. Like I was, mm -hmm. I mentioned before mm -hmm. my, my buddy, Eddie, who's like a lifelong hunter. He's like, and, and when, when it came to rock climbing also, like he was like, I learned everything the right way through him. And nice. I, I, and I honestly would say that I just got lucky. Cause there's definitely people who have shitty mentors. Sure. Right. Yeah. You know, people yeah. who just like, Oh, you just drive roads and shoot out of your car you right. know, stuff like that. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's first of all illegal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. But yeah, but I mean like, no, he like, it's like, there's no, there's no shortcuts. Yeah. You know, for finding areas like, uh, 
man, you, I'm on a couple of hunting pages on Facebook and like every once in a while, especially lately, the past couple of years, you know, since COVID yeah. there's been a huge, you know, uptick in hunters and sure. brand new hunters. And they're like, you'll see some guy who will like, Hey, new to hunting. Can someone give me a good, a good area to start looking for whitetail? <laughs> and that person is about to get skewered. Like yeah. It, it, yeah. People, the reality of it is, is like to find a good spot takes a lot of fucking work. Oh yeah. I'm sure. A lot sure. of work. Like it is boots on the ground. There is really no substitute. Um, but like having a good mentor that like helps you, um, know what to look for. Like every once in a while online, you'll get someone who is like, I'm not going to tell you where the good spots are, but I'm going to tell you what to look for. Yeah. That's cool. You know, yeah, like, that's fair. Cause that's... I, I mean, animals need, you know, a couple of things, right? They need water, they need food, they need shelter. Yeah. Right. Um, and generally speaking, you want to be away from anywhere where there's going to be a lot of human, uh, you know, uh, where they're going to bump into humans and yeah. stuff like anywhere, like, you know, by the four peaks. I mean, obviously there's animals out there, but the four peaks is like, you know, you know, quads, dirt yeah, bikes, side by sides, everything's yeah. going on like that. So a lot of times you just need to be willing to like get off the beaten path. Yeah. Right. And most people are not willing to do that. Yeah. Well, I, th I don't think most people know where to start. I mean, where does that, where does that beaten path end and where does the real, sh you know, shit start? Um, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you an, uh, just, just a little background on, on my experience hunting when I grew up, um, growing up in, in, in Texas, we would go to, you know, Southwest Texas, you know, area. And, um, we would hunt on uh, deer leases. Mm -hmm. And if you never hunted a deer lease, you can almost lasso deer. Yeah. I mean, if you don't, if you don't kill something, it's cause you didn't want to. Right. You know, it really is. You could, you could literally take a rifle shot at a deer and miss it and then kill it later that day. Cause they just come right back. I mean, they're yeah. fed They're. I mean, it's just, it's not hunting, but going out with you, First of all, I thought my heart was going to explode because you got out of the truck or the, the you had a RAV4 at the time. A little lifted thing. Had some clearance. <laughs> but I remember you got out of that thing. We grabbed our bows and then you just started going uphill. And I, I'm not, I'm not, like I consider myself to be in decent shape. I, you were my, probably less so back then. Less so. Yeah, <laughs> less so. But my, I remember my legs, the lactic acid buildup in my legs was like, oh my gosh, he's got to slow down. Yeah, we were over by like uh, Superior. I remember that. Yes. Yeah. yeah so that was, that was a... Uh, that was a rough day. And we got busted by dogs. Remember that? The yeah. Dogs the two dog yeah, yeah. I think they were like out, like they must've been like either, uh, like mountain lion hunting or yeah. maybe shed hunting. Who knows what they were doing out yeah. there. They were by themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's like, like I said, it's like knowing what to look for. Um, Google earth is like a really good resource to, for like getting basic topographical information for an area. Right. Yeah. You want to look for those places that are kind of like far enough away from a road. I always like the rule of thumb is like, you want to at least be a mile away from like where people congregate. Okay. So campgrounds, yep. uh, like the lake, like obviously the lake is going to be a good source for like water for animals, but yeah. you want to be where like, say like there's like a beach, like where everyone hangs out or maybe like cliff jumping or whatever it is, right. Mm. A, a, a spot where like a lot of people hang out. Yeah. You want to be away from that. Cause the animals don't want to be near that. Right. Right. So, and like roads, buildings, you know, like I think I said campsites, like all that kind of stuff you want to be away from. Yeah. Right. And if you can get away from anywhere, like I like hunting wilderness areas, which is like kind of something my buddy Eddie, like he's, that's his thing. He's like, he's backpacking into the wilderness. Nice. You know, and that's, that's, that's a really good way to do it because even hunters, like you're carrying all that gear. Like if you're trying to do like a back backpacking hunt, like you got your tent, you got your sleeping stuff, you yeah. got food stuff that you have to bring with you. Yeah. And then all of your, your hunting stuff, right. Yep. That's a lot of weight. And that's then a lot of let's assume you kill something. 
Now you have oh, to yeah. get all of that plus an animal out yeah. of the, you know, the, out of the wilderness area. It's a lot of fucking work. Yeah, that's and a lot, lot of people work. don't realize it. You know, yeah. they they think they see, you know, the meat eater podcast or whatever, right? And they see guys walking around with a backpack full of meat on them, but they don't realize that like a 50, 50 pound pack on your shoulders, hiking through uneven ground. It's not like you're hiking a trail, right? You know, yeah. most of the time you're hiking, you know, rugged bushwhacky kind of areas, yeah. even in the desert. Like yeah. the, de- the problem with the desert is like, everything's loose. Yeah. Like rocks are all trying to slide out from underneath you. Right. Um, and you're doing that with like a 50 pound pack, which doesn't sound, everyone like, I, I always like kind of like chuckled myself and everyone's like, yeah, I went, uh, went for a backpack and I, uh, backpacking trip and I had a 50 pound pack. I'm like, no, you didn't. You <laughs> no, don't you know didn't. what a 50 pound pack feels like. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. that's a lot of weight to have on your back. Yeah. You and, and, and for those of you that don't know, um, that are not from Arizona, um, hunting in Arizona is tough to begin with. Um, it takes a lot of, we, we, we're on a lottery system and when you don't, um, get, drawn for a hunt um you basically accumulate points and then people will just buy points and then they get the enough points to to put in for a draw in an area where they really really want to hunt and it's not like you know in other states where you buy your licenses and you get your tags and then you go hunt whenever you want you get a a seven-day window Mm -hmm. right uh, Many times. I, I, well, that's that's when you're drawn. But what sure. about what about with the over the counter? What what what's the what's the time limit on that? So it, it definitely varies depending on uh, what species, what uh, time of year, and all that kind of stuff. Generally, you get about a month. Okay. For archery, that's not uh, bad. Yeah, most almost all over the counter stuff is going to be archery only. Yeah. Almost right. There is definitely exceptions to that, but generally for like the main species, like any of the deer species, um, we don't have any over, over the counter elk, but um, javelina, yeah. turkey. Um, all that stuff is generally, you generally, you get about a month. Yeah. Uh, and, and do you a buy more. a separate tag if you go like javelina hunting, deer hunting, stuff like that? Is that, is that all separate tags? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so are they within, I mean, I'm assuming there's different seasons. So those would be different months of the year. So, yeah. Um, so you, you'll, you, the, the tag is general, right? You'll get like an over the counter javelina tag. It's good from January one to December 31st. Okay. Right. And there's a handful of different javelina hunts throughout, like basically the entire month of January you have the, it's, it's only over the counter for the most part for most units. And it varies. There's different regulations. Like you'll, there's uh, uh reg regulation books that you'll have to like, look at like what unit you're going to be hunting yeah. in. Is it open? Cause some units aren't open. Some are, some are open longer. Some are open shorter. So you mm-hmm. have to make sure that you know the rules. Yeah. Right. There's no, there's no excuses. If you don't know the rules and you get caught, you're in trouble. Yeah. So, and, and another thing I want to point out about hunting in Arizona is that the over-the-counter hunts are about, you know, maybe a, a 5 to 7% success rate. Um, well, I'm talking about deer, right? For deer. I mean, it's very Probably low. lower than that. Probably yeah. lower than that. I mean, mm-hmm. Havelina is a little bit higher, but I mean, yeah. there's, you, you've got to, like you said, you got to get off the beaten path to do that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but Tojo has killed, I remember one year, um, he killed a, a deer with a rifle and a bow. All within the same calendar year, I think, right? Uh, no, so well, close. I mean, if you were to count it in the three hundred sixty-five degree, yep. yeah, 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 within uh, the calendar, three hundred sixty-five yeah. days. So, yeah, uh, you can in Arizona, you can only kill one deer, regardless of what hunt it is, mm. right? So, if you you can't just like have an archery over the counter tag in January, kill it, kill a deer, and then do the fall hunt like it for a rifle oh, gotcha. or something. Okay. So you can only kill one deer per year. Yeah. Um, so I think what I think that year I. I had a, a late, I had a fall hunt rifle, which was um, a hunt that I went on with one of my buddies, uh, yeah. my buddy Eddie that I was telling you about. Was that a draw or was that a... That's uh, a draw. draw. Yeah. All yeah. the rifle hunts in Arizona for deer are all draw. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, killed that deer um, out in the superstitions, deep wilderness. Like, yeah. we were off the beaten path. Yeah, wow. like, We were way out there. That was 
pretty miserable hike out of there because I had yeah. to do it twice. Yeah. You know, because you, you got to think you got all your camping stuff and all and then the animal. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. I couldn't do it all at once. Yeah. So I, I opted to like, all right, I'm going to take the animal, get it to my car where I had a cooler with ice in it. You know, get it on ice because you want to get that temperature down as soon as possible. Right. So okay. you don't have like, you know, your meat start going bad on you because then that just defeats the purpose. Yeah. Right? And in Arizona, it's like 70 in January. Oh, it was. So, so that was. I think that was in October, late October. Oh time. gosh, it's nice yeah. and warm. Yeah, yeah it, and in the soups, it's desert out there. Like yeah. a lot of people don't realize that, like October in most you know parts of the country, you're like, oh, it's starting to cool down. It's yeah, nice. Yeah, it might snow. Yeah, no, yeah. it was hot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I was like, you know, looking for water on the way there, taking breaks. Like I was melting on the way, you know, coming back from there, and then had to go right back to camp to you know pack up camp and then get back yeah. out and then head home. Um, and then I think I I think that ja- the January after that is when I. You know, uh, kill that other deer with my bow. Okay. Okay. So yeah. Within a 365 time yeah. span. But I remember like, that year. It was, it was a good year for you. Yeah. I've definitely had years though where I don't kill anything. Yeah. Right? It's, it happens. Yeah. Um, again, it's just like the more time you spend out there, the, 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 the bigger that percentage gets yeah. of like being successful. Yeah. So, um, you know, a big mistake that people make, and, and I'm guilty of that, man, you know, you start getting into these things and I mean, look around you. I mean, I got into <laughs> this, so but the, a big mistake that people make is they start buying all this gear. They, you know, they, they need, they need they, the, the boots they saw on the meat eater podcast. They need the bow. They did this, you know, they saw on this podcast and they need, you know, all this awesome, like cold weather, hot weather, every kind of, you know, everything mm-hmm. in between. What would you recommend for the common guy who's just like, you know, wants to be physically active, which is what we're trying to promote on this podcast, right? Sure. He wants to be, have, have an active lifestyle and he loves the outdoors. Maybe he's a hiker, but you know what? Maybe he wants to get into this hunting thing. Sure. What do you, where, where does that, where does that guy start? Well, I mean, first of all, you want to be in shape, right? Like, like I said, it's not easy to get out there. So the more time you spend out there, like hiking out into areas and then looking, like looking for sign, like, um, again, that comes along with like, get a good mentor, at least mm. someone that you know, like one of your friends that maybe hunts, like ask him, what should I look for? Yeah. You know, what is, what is deer poop look like? You know, what does yeah. deer uh, track look like? Yeah. You know, what are they eating? Like, you know, there's all sorts of stuff that you need to know about whatever given species you're hunting. Right. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, on top of that, I mean, there is so much, I wouldn't say there's a, a bunch of misinformation online. It's really hard to sift through opinions versus facts. Yeah. You know, yeah. one of the things, especially with like rifles and bow companies, just in general, like, cause that's a, a big, easy one, right? You'll have people be like, only buy Matthews bows, only buy Hoyt yes. bows, only buy Bowtech or yeah. with rifles, only buy Ruger, buy the only gigantic, buy Christensen. Yeah. You know, like, buy the gigantic Yeti cooler, you know, that can't, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. brand, if, if someone is a brand whore, yeah, you, you probably want to take what they're saying with a grain of salt, unless they're giving like legit. I think I think reason. he was talking about me. Yeah, I think Alex. he was talking about me. Well, but. it's because I was like, you need to buy a Hoyt, <laughs> <laughs> and I did. Yeah, and I did. Yeah, as you can see, Hoyt. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I mean, like I always tell people, like um, I have a, a a hunting friend that uh, he's a rifle hunter, and he wants to get into archery hunting, and he's like. So what do you recommend for a bow? And I was like, I don't recommend bows to people. Yeah. Because that's, there's, you can't recommend a bow to somebody. It's so unique to every person. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and there, there's the major brands that you stick to because they do a great job. Um, me, um, you know, I, 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 I shoot a Hoyt, not very well, but I shoot a <laughs> Hoyt and um, I, I think it fits me well. 
Sure. Uh, but you can't go wrong. I mean, you can't go wrong. I mean, the big three that come to mind is Matthews, Botech, and Hoyt. But mm-hmm. there's also... Um, PSE. PSE. That's local. Yep. They're, they're a local brand. So, I mean, I, if you're supporting local, that's that's the way to go. The reality is, is like all of the... All the at least in, in when it comes to bows, all the big bow companies are all local U.S. based companies, yep. Yep. right? So that's that's really nice. And most of them do in house machining because it's usually just like it starts out as a block of aluminum for the most part, and it, it gets machined out, and that's like the whole manufacturing process. So like anybody who's like, if that's a big selling point, like made in the U.S., most bows are made in the U.S. Okay, so which is really nice. Um, and as far as technology goes, like you said. Hoyt, Matthews, Bowtech, um, PSE. Uh, PSE, like any of these like big name companies, like even like the smaller name ones, like um, Bear Archery is another, like it's, it's, it's hard to say that Bear Archery is a smaller one, but it's like kind of one They've that kind of gets looked time. over. They've yeah. been around forever. Yeah. Um, but they're kind of like become the Bass Pro Shop. So kind of like Bass Pro Shop is kind of like the Walmart of hunting supplies, right? Sure. But right. like any of these bows, like as long as it's not like some like Amazon special or eBay special, right? right? Any of these like name brands, they are going to be more accurate than you are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's why I always tell people, I was like, Every single bow you look at at the, at the bow shop, like if you were just to grab one off the off the shelf and not sh- not shoot it, just like that one looks pretty. Yeah. And you bought that one, you will 100% be able to go kill something with yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. You know, if if you have, if you put in the time, you practice, you have the skills, you yep. tune your bow, all that kind of stuff, right? Yep. That All that being equal, every bow is going to kill something. Yeah. Like they're all way, just like rifles, right? Every rifle is way more accurate than the shooter. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're, uh, I guess I guess you get to a certain pro, like pro level point where like you can outshoot your boat or your rifle, but yeah, any, it's totally different. Any normal yeah. like I, I wouldn't even say hobbyist like any normal like avid hunter, it, their bows are outshooting them. Yeah, like you put that thing in like a, they have like a little device called a hooter shooter where it kind of like holds the bow, yep. it draws it back, and then it has a release. Yeah, it's, makes it almost exactly the same shot every single time. It's like that bow sh- outshoots you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I always tell people, I'm like, go down to the bow shop and I would say, st- probably stay away from like Bass Pro, Cabela's. Like, yes, those bows are going to be more affordable because they're kind of like, a lot of those bows are kind of like made, f- like PSE and Bear um, both have kind of like contracts with those uh, big box stores. Yeah. And they'll, they'll have like a line of bows that are only sold at Bass Pro Shop. Right. Or Cabela's. Well, I guess they're the same now, but yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, I prefer and recommend people to go to the not box stores. So in Phoenix, we have, you know, um, archery headquarters, which is my go-to. Yeah. Um, they're awesome. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. They're great dudes. They're all super knowledgeable and super friendly. Yep. Um, uh, Ross outdoors is a bigger company. They're awesome. Um, I think Ross outdoors, they, I think, I think they also like rent like equipment. Well, I mean, like to that not, point, not, not not like hunting equipment, just like oh like, yeah, the, yeah, construction. Oh, most equipment. of them, most of them will like hunt. Or sorry, not hunt. Oh, you mean like outside of archery? I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm not kidding. They, oh I yeah, mean, there's like some lifts. sort of like other uh, yeah. thing that they run out of. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, too. yeah, yeah. But anyway, or like Timber Mesa is another big one. Yeah. Or another good one, right? Yep. The nice thing about these places is like, first of all, all the people that work there are hunters and shooters. Yeah, right. So they're gonna they're gonna know what they're talking about for the most part. Um, and that's the other thing. It's, it's kind of tough. Like I've definitely, I'm not, I'm not going to like name shops or anything, but I've def- definitely been to, um, good shops where you talk to these people and you're like, 
oh, you're you're just a you're just a weekend guy that they have here, you know, doing like grunt labor. Yeah. And then you'll talk to like the guys that you know are there, have been there for years and years and years. Like at Archery Headquarters, there's uh, Travis and Isaiah who like are like the head shop guys. Anything they tell you, I would listen to. Okay. Yeah, but the uh, but the to that the, the point is is that you need to go into one of those shops, tell them you're in the market for a bow. Do not and tell them that I'm like I am not looking for like a specific bow. I want to shoot something from everybody. Oh, good. Because yeah. like, uh, like there was a year where I was just kind of like getting, trying to be a little brand hoary and was like, I want to shoot a Matthews. Right. So I go yeah. in there and I'm like, Hey, I want to shoot the new Matthews. And I'm like, okay. And so we, you know, I get behind, put a couple arrows into a bag and I was like, okay, that's nice. Um, just since we're here, can we try the PSC? Can we try the, the new Hoyt, the new everything? Right. And I, for me, I always just kind of like land on Hoyt. Yeah. Right. But, just, but, but don't you think the guys at that, at that, um, at that pro shop are just happy to do that? Oh, they're great. Yeah. yeah. They're at just least, happy to, that you're interested in, in different brands. Cause it's yeah. why I always buy at archery headquarters. Cause the first time I walked into the door there and yeah. I was just like shooting the shit, I was like, I, I literally did not have the, in, I walk in with the intent to buy a bow. Yeah. And I ended up talking to one of the guys who doesn't work there anymore. Nice uh, young kid. Um, but he like, he was like, you want to shoot some? Like, I was just kind of like looking at bows, kind of like looking at, you know, gear in the shop. Just, I was killing time. Yeah. And he's like, you want to shoot some bows? And I was like, uh, can I? Yeah. Like, I didn't know that was a thing. Cause my first bow, I bought at Bass Pro Shop and they're all like, they have like, you know, zip tied. So you can't yep. draw the bow you back which, it, for yeah. obvious reasons. They don't want people dry firing bows right. in the shop. Yeah. But, uh, I was like, I didn't know it was a thing where you could just go into a shop and like try out the bows. Like yeah. you obviously can't do that with rifles, right? Yeah. You're like, Hey, can I take this to the range? And then yeah, bring yeah, it back? Yeah. No, you can't do that. Right. Yeah. But yeah, he was like, you want to shoot bows? And we shot a bunch of bows and then, you know, long story short, I ended up ordering a bow that day. That's awesome. You know, I was just like, Okay, yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, and most of, I think most of those like non box store places are going to take care of you like that. Yeah, and what fits me with the draw cycle that I like and I think is the smoothest isn't necessarily going to be what you know what fits you. Right. Right. Yeah. So I, I I don't and it's like like I said they're all going to be better than you. Yeah. All the bows are going to be better than you. Yeah. That's that's a I, I like that you said that that's that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. Because you're not going to outshoot the bow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so uh, real quick. Um, I wanted to get into a little bit of, uh, of the gear. So uh, again, novice guy, number one, get yourself in shape, right? Uh, number two, um, you know, go out and get the method, right? The, the bow, uh, number three, what kind of gear would you recommend? Because it's easy to spend $2,000 oh, yeah. on gear, right? Mm -hmm. And when I say gear, just clothing, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, do you, do you, do you wear, do you specifically pick for a specific hunt? Or do you buy it as you go? Or do you just say, you know what? Buy once, cry once. What's your philosophy on that? <laughs> My philosophy is buy once, cry once. How I actually do it is I buy a bunch of crap. This sucks. That's awesome. Yeah. I throw away the crap. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of like just the way I am. I like to, I like to tinker. So a lot of trial and error. A lot of trial and error for me. What I recommend for most people is say you have a hunt coming. Say, say your intent is to buy a bow and do the over-the-counter uh, um, javelina and deer hunt in December, January. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, you know, December and January is the winter, right? Yep. So buy your gear to fit the season and the locale. So there's a big difference between hunting, you know, the deserts of like, you know, around Phoenix versus yeah. like going up to Flagstaff in the winter. Oh yeah. Right. Definitely. So like know what the weather is, be prepared for the worst weather. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of worst weather, when, um, Tojo and I went out for a, an over-the-counter deer hunt up in the uh, Four Peaks. Um, we <laughs> camped 
it, 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 it was like a jet runway. It was the most ex- exposed spot the most we could exposed find. Spot and the wind picked up and our tents were slapping us awake. Um, the alarm on the truck went off. Remember that? Yes. The, because it shook so hard. Yeah. Um, and then when we went out the next day, we went on a hunt the next day and it rained. It poured down rain. I was drenched. Well, it snowed that night. It snowed remember? the night. Yep. Yeah. So that night rained all day. And I just remember getting back to the tent and all of my stuff was drenched because my tent ripped in yep. that, in that windstorm. And then I, we slept in the truck that night because it, the wind picked up again and it was just miserable. Mm-hmm. But, um, Coming off of that hunt, I went out and spent, I'm not going to tell you how much because my wife might be listening, but <laughs> I bought some rain gear. Yeah. That 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 weekend, I bought rain Staying gear. Staying dry is the most important thing. 100%. If you are wet, hot or cold, hot, hot you're going to be, yeah. you're not going to be comfortable. Yeah. Like if it's hot, you're going to start chafing. If it's yeah. cold, you're going to be freezing. Yeah. Right. And you got to sit still a lot. Yep. Yeah. So. A lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of hiking and a lot of that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, which is great. But in order to be real successful it's, it's a lot of sitting on a hillside behind glass behind yeah. binoculars yeah right and that's ours yeah like that's it that is literally the majority of your hunt is going to be that yeah yeah which is another thing a lot of people don't realize it's like they they see kill shots and stuff on like the meteor po- uh, show yeah. or whatever and it's like most of what they're doing is either hiking to their spot or sitting on a hillside. Sitting on a hillside. One of my favorite, um, one of my favorite episodes of Meat Eater. I couldn't tell you what episode it is, but it was like five days of what's his name? Um, the Steve Ranella. Yeah, Steve Ranella. Five days of Steve Ranella sitting on a hill. He's wind burnt. He's yeah. sunburnt, and he hasn't seen anything. And he's just sitting there going, "God, I hate hunting." <laughs> they, <laughs> yep. I don't. I don't know that they got anything in that episode. There's definitely been episodes where he's not successful. Yeah, I, and I it's think like that's cool. As, uh, people don't realize that it's like. I would say for most at most people, like that's the majority of your hunt. Yeah, is being unsuccessful. I've had countless weekends where I go spend the weekend out somewhere and don't kill anything. Yeah, you know, um, I've you know I've kind of like narrowed down my locations of like whatever I'm hunting. I'll go to a different area for different species, and I've got like deer and javelina down. I if I like, give me a rifle. I'll kill a deer every year. Nice. Right. If that yeah. was, if that was the case where like I could just get drawn every year. Yeah. I would kill a deer every single year. In my That's unit. awesome. Cause I just awesome. know where they are. Yeah. Right. That, but that, that comes with a lot of work, a lot yeah. of work. Yeah. So, um, so we are at an hour and one minute and, um, I promised an hour. So, um, we're going to wrap this up, but before we wrap it up, I've got, hang on one second. He's got notes. So this is something I wanted to do, and I and I don't know if this is going to work out, but I'm going to ask you a list of questions. Uh, they're rapid fire questions, and um, you just give me the first thing that that comes to mind. Oh, I hate. You this. ready? I feel like I'm actually out of no, job. No, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. <laughs> All right. Name a gun. Name a game show you think you could, you could actually win. A game show? Yeah. Oof. You're you're terrible at this, by the way. Uh, Wheel of Fortune. Wheel of Fortune. Is that the only game show you could think of, or you think you actually win it? That's the only one that doesn't revolve around me knowing a bunch of useless facts. Right on. That would I can think of. <laughs> would you rather have a, your dream job or win the lottery? Ooh, uh, lottery. Lottery. Do you cannonball or tiptoe into a pool? Cannonball. What's your go-to karaoke song? None. Really? <laughs> use a. Uh, would you use a public restroom or hold it? Oh, f- I'm gonna go. Superman or Batman? Uh, Superman. Xbox or PlayStation? Xbox. Would you go forward in time or back in time? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, back. Back, why? Just, there's so much to learn. Right on. Okay. And, uh, what's a, uh, embarrassing song you secretly like? 
don't get embarrassed about music. <laughs> I don't know. Insane uh, stuff. I love, stuff. I love all the, the boy band stuff that you're always like teased to like when you're in high school. And I was like, yeah, but these are bangers. Come on, let's be real. <laughs> let's be real, right? They were awesome. <laughs> They're then. popular They're awesome for now. a reason. <laughs> They're awesome. All right, guys. So, all right. So listen, thank you for being the first guest. And we're going to do this again. Um, you know, uh, we, like I said, we've been talking about this for a while, so I'd like to have you on as much as possible. We'll do, we'll do some more. Maybe, maybe we'll, we'll, uh, tag team, a, um, you know, a guest on the podcast. That sounds dirty. Yeah. Right. So, uh, we are going to wrap this up, but, uh, before we go, I want to let you guys know that you can find us on, uh, YouTube where this is the, uh, uh BJJ Foxcast, uh, on Instagram, BJJ Foxcast, and soon to come to Facebook and all that. Once I figure out how to do all that stuff. Anyway, thanks, guys, and uh, thanks for listening. And Tojo, thanks for being on the show, man. Of course. Anytime. All right. See ya.